again, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Would, would I do what we did again? 100% not. We just couldn't give them the monthly rebate. And everybody said, what do we do? You know, what, what do you do? Because they're going to come at us and they could probably put us out of business. There was only one thing that matters, cash in your bank. The only reason you want profit is ego. Uh, it was messy. It ended up going, they tried to take us to, well, we ended up taking them to Tribune because they tried to take us as badly. It, it was horrible. But it needs to happen. We need to take control back of our lives. I certainly did. Simon Pickering, he's old school. He says it himself, he's old school. He has seen changes in industry from before the internet, before mobile phones, and he made his money in mobile, working through for you, up to building his own business into a multi-million pound empire where he had the Ferrari, the nice house, only to lose it all. This story tells you his journey, what he's been through, and how he picks himself up and rebuilds another telecoms business from the ground up. I'm Richard Osborne, this is UKBF Stories, sharing with you the journey of small business owners across the UK. Nationwide and sort of getting that, sort of working in that kind of environment that both um, experienced and things taking ages, that's when uh, mobile phones were starting to become a thing yeah. and you had the big bricks. Um, Still got a couple of those in the office. <laughs> uh, that basically put your back out when you're carrying them yeah. over your shoulder. And the, you then went to For You. I did. Yeah, and that, and from my memory, but fill in the blanks, um, that is into telecoms. Yeah, I, I went, so do, you write, it, after Nationwide, I went into um, GE, actually. So I left Nationwide. I got frustrated at Nationwide. I'm impatient. I went for a promotion, didn't get it. Uh, went into HR, asked why. They gave me the reason, which I didn't agree with. Well, I'm out of it. So I went and found another job. Uh, it was not in General Electric at that time, which is the Jack Welsh business, but they got bought about six months after I joined. And that was selling or leasing the big articulated trailers, so renting those out. Really fun business. You wouldn't think it's fun, by the way. When I say trailers, it's hardly fun. But it's amazing when you actually start to do it and you look on the motorway how many actually you see that are rented. I haven't given it up yet, and I could probably still give you all the codes for every single one because you had to learn them off by heart. But it was, it was a great experience, phenomenal training. It was a Jack Welsh era. Most people in business will have read the Jack Welsh book. I know everybody will sit there. It's outdated management. But I think a lot of it can be adapted to today. I don't think that's changed. And it was a wonderful business to be involved, just from training, development, people, contacts. It was great. Then moved on uh, to For You Business. So the Cord John Cordwell had phones for you that everybody will know. But they also had just started to sell into businesses. So retail had gone crackers on phones, absolutely bananas. But no one had really picked up the mantle for business. So Carphone at that stage was just starting. And For You business was dwarfed out of Phones For You. The idea being you replicate what Phones For You did. Obviously, there were not many businesses and there were challenges in that business. I was there for about a year. So, but again... Great learning, fast-paced business. Had the opportunity in there because it wasn't. It was under pressure, so it was. It was the time John was trying to sell the business. Therefore, that was a part of the business that wasn't performing as it should have been. You had. You was given quite a um, 
hefty task when you join there. A really tough task. So we are. So actually, one of the guys I set up my first business with went in there. And when we arrived in, we thought, well, we're here to go and grow it. Well, the reality was very different. It was losing a substantial amount of money a week. Had about a thousand people in it. Way too many. Had five hundred salespeople. I mean, five hundred salespeople going to sell to businesses, mobile contracts that are two years. I think they were twelve months then, and they just flicked to two years. You just you're never going to hit your numbers. So it was it was definitely underwater, and it was it, it was obviously impacting his sale which rightly so he wanted to get through. So the remit was quite simple. Take a look at the business and figure out whether we can trim it to get it performing or it needs something doing with it or shutting. Uh, And it ended up being shutting it because it just wasn't viable for the scale. So the idea was the right idea. You take the for you business and think, well, if I flick everybody every 12 months, and I'm recycling, but the problem is there's, what, probably 50 million people that will take mobile phone contracts as a consumer. They just weren't that volume of business. And then you think you're tying people into 24 months, your pool of people is quite low. So how, well, two questions really. How do you approach, when you come into an environment uh, that you think you're coming into grow and do a business, how does your mindset switch to, actually, I've now got to close this all down? And We weren't there. So I think if I, I cut it into sections for the first six months was really, and we were working there. So the first six months was really running a team of, of I think I had eight, eight different branches. So you had five, six salespeople in each. So get to know the business. You still thought you were growing it at that stage. Behind the scenes, I'm sure there were different conversations going on. Um, but you quickly understood that, you know, to try and hit the numbers you were expected to hit w- was tough to do. We, as a as a you know board level sales team in that business, were sat down to say, what do you think? How do you think we can do things differently? It would cost a fair bit of money to reshape the business. I think at board level, right the way up at the group level, it was just shut it. And that was tough. So you, you sat there and went, I've just jumped ship from a, you know, a 12, 10, 12 year career in, in one of the biggest businesses and growth businesses in, in the world that I could have stayed in quite happily and gone to another one and been happy when I was on. I, I wanted to change. I took the change. It didn't work out. You know, as I said earlier, I'm quite pragmatic with that kind of thing. I kind of looked and went, okay. But this is a good industry. And the great thing about it was that we were given access to some really good marketing teams. So we started to model up probably two or three of us what a good business would look like and why would it look that way. So whilst we were busy shutting it, we were also modeling up in the background what could it look like and how could it work. So we got to that three or four months. So... Uh, wasn't the journey I expected to go on, but again, was a great learning. Uh, and I think it, it's part of that journey in life you go through where you learn. Uh, and that was massive learning for me. And mobile telecoms in particular, I read quite a while ago now, but it was the only industry that continued to grow during the 80s, early 90s recession and the credit crunch. When all other industries are in decline, The during those, well, during a recession, mobile communications continue to grow and grow and grow. 
but you look at it now. And even if I take it to today's market and we hear about the cost of living consistently and it is, it's tough for everybody out there right now. And I sit at home and you will have conversations. I have a conversation with my wife about it and sit there and I go, I guarantee you now that nearly everybody will have probably a high-end smartphone paying 40, 50 quid to a network every single month. Now, is it a luxury or is it you've got to have it? And it feels like you've got to have it. It, it, it's strange, isn't it? The, um, so, you know, my household is a household of four. I've, um, so myself, my wife, I've got a 17-year-old son and a 20-year-old daughter. We do not have a phone line going into the house. We don't have a landline num- line at all. But we have four mobiles. I've never, until, I've never actually really thought about it, but that is, it's, no, it's, it's normal. But that's how everybody views it. You know, if you, it's funny when we're talking about how people did business in the 80s. Well, pre-mobile, uh, you know, I joke about it now. I've got something in my, behind, so again, it's, it's, it, it's, it's kind of a prop, but it's a great icebreaker, by the way. I've got an old phone that you do this with, so you put your finger in, you dial it. And that's how we used to communicate letter and phone. Now, you watch everything. It's a Love Actually film all over again where everybody's like this in the airport. And, and I, you know, I drive my son to school every morning. And he's like this. I'm just like, you're going to get arthritis in your son. You know, your thumb's going to go shortly. Um, but it is viewed, I think, as a necessity. I, I think you look at Sky TV or BT or whichever other cable ones are. Again, it, for me, that's quite a luxury. But do, does everybody view it that way? I'm not sure they do. But that's why it's grown. And then I think your big explode. you kind of had two big explosions if you think about it. You had the bricks. Yeah. Then you had the trusted, lovely Nokia that I love that was what had a battery life. Throw off a bridge and it'd yeah. still work. The battery life of about a week. No matter how much you talked, it yeah. never seemed to go down. So you had all that explosion really in the 80s and 90s. And then mid-2000s, 05, I think, 05, 06, the iPhone hit. Now that changed the planet and, and impacted, and you've seen that growth. The financial crisis came, but if you think about when that hit, 08, 09, 10, that is when Apple was going, Samsung was coming in, and everybody had to have the latest iPhone. We've been talking about the, that change in mobile communication and sort of how that changed, and you got an insight into the communications industry at 4U. Yeah. And that point is where you started your first business. Yeah, I mean, we, as I said, we, we got access to a great marketing team. Uh, we modelled it up. There were three of us. Uh, one person I knew really well. So uh, one of the shareholders I went into business with, I'd been through GE for 10 years. So we had, we had a really good relationship. I worked for him most of the time. I worked for him for you. Uh, so really, he brought me into business. And then one of the other sales directors, he got to know well. We sat down together and went, there's a good opportunity here. And we'd modelled it already. And we, did, we actually did it at my kitchen table with a projector onto the wall. My wife was pregnant with our first child. We'd just moved house. I timed it really well. Timing for me is a running thing sometimes personally. So I decided to leave. I got married. She was pregnant and we just bought our first house. So fantastic. And I'm just leaving a job. Created a look. We found a template online to build a business plan. Massive, great thing. It was about 40 pages. And 
you're one of the few people that sat down here and said they actually had a business plan. Yeah, well, uh, we thought we better had because we were going into trial. I think it did you well as we get through this story. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it did. It, it did do us very well actually. So we knew we needed a bit of money. We weren't going to again. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Would would I do what we did again? Hundred percent not. Like, you know, I mean, we got right. What we'll do is we'll start our business two weeks after shutting this, or a month after. And what we'll do is we'll go and employ eighteen salespeople because that sounds a really clever thing to do and try and pay them. I was, if you excuse the expression, I'll just read word for word what I've just wrote in my notes here. Big balls, <laughs> like oh. literally. When I sit there and think. Um, three offices the that level of staff and 18 leased car all on day one well the leased cars was great and it was well, funny enough he still we still i still see him today so it's giles uh bolton who now works at grosvenor was at uh down at bmw how we pulled it off i don't know so you had 18 sales bear in mind we had to pick of three four hundred salespeople who were going to you know either gone or were going so we looked at it and went Right, we've got 18 top salespeople here. How much are they going to cost us each month? So we worked that bit out when we haven't got quite enough money from our own money. So we managed to get Barclays to give us match our money as an overdraft, by the way. Wouldn't do a loan, overdraft. Guaranteed against your house. On the big business plan we did. And we then managed to get these BMWs. And again, we didn't go small. We did a launch of the business at Whittlebury to all the staff. So we lined all these BMWs up, and if you ever said, my wife's still got the plate now, so it's W15H VP for her, which is Wish, which was the business name. So we started with 18, and yeah, it was, it was a real eye-opener, I would call it. Wow, there were some lessons learned over an eight-year period. And um, starting with the very first lesson... Yep. I don't know how the biz is done, so I'm, I'm intrigued because you started with um, three of you putting some money in yep. and the money being matched by a bank, but not a lot of money nope. by any standards, really, for something uh, taken on that immediately liabilities. So did it start with a boom going straight up and um, or was there getting a little bit sort of seat your pants it, it was seat of your pants uh, so it was, it was a risk it was it, i would say calculated but i'm probably being kind to myself it, it was a risk but the, the industry was very different then so the way the networks worked at that stage was they would pay you you go and i mean i don't like mobile phones the reason i, don't, I like sim cards yeah. i don't like phones i have to pay for them sim cards i got paid for so you would go and sell a two-year deal and you get x so let's call it I don't know, 400 quid, 500, whatever the number is. Out of that, you then got to, I don't know, you'll see them, they'll do cashbacks, buy people out of contract, give them a phone. Obviously, we give phones away. They're never bought, they're all lent. They're, you know, we give them. We don't really, obviously. It always makes me smile. And then you've got a gross margin. Out of the gross margin, you've got commission, you've got everything else you've got to pay. So it's quite a simple business model. What you figured out was I've got to connect that amount of connections every month to deliver payroll the way that, again the networks were great at that stage because they wanted volume so they paid you every 14 days for what you did so from a cash flow point of view fantastic you get paid i'm not saying they paid you accurately but you got paid majority of what you owed quite a basic sales driven model 
we need to do, let's say, 500 connections a month. That will deliver all the payroll and a profit of X. So we knew, we knew our numbers and, and it's taught me well. If we, if we went to 550, guess what? We've got this. Now, the first three months were great because obviously there was a pipeline from people coming into the business. There was one thing we didn't take into account. So we were flying. For the first three months, I'm not kidding you, we were sitting there after three months going, we were making really good profit. We're sitting there going, what's everybody so worried about being in business? I don't get it. What's so hard? What we didn't realise was that when someone disconnects or doesn't pay, the network comes back and takes all of your commission. So not only have you lost all your commission, you've also paid for a phone, you've also paid the salaries, you've paid this, and the following four months, uh, the P&L did not look so healthy. In fact, it went into reverse quite quickly, cash became tight, and you were sitting there going, oh, we've now got a problem. So that was the first lesson I learned is don't get blinded by three months of good performance and think it's going to go all the way through. And by the way, understand what your supplier can do to you from a clawback point of view before you get all excited. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, the, um, in a similar vein, um, my first business was selling domain names before things went down. It's been the same, a similar sort of thing. I was making money in my sleep. And the um, the business um, people were buying domain names off my website, thinking they could sell them for thousands. Yeah, uh, this was in the like late nineties. Yeah, yeah, and um, then somebody got sued for trying to sell. I think it was Coca Cola dot com to Coca Cola, and Coca Cola sued them back and won. And then everybody started charging back their cards, saying I didn't do this transaction, and literally it nearly sunk me. But the banks were ripping oh. the money out of the account. Uh, I had like, you know, Jaguar type brochures on my living room floor, like, oh, you make so much money. And um, nah, it's so easy when you think you're, you're up here and something changes and it get, the rug gets taken. A hundred percent. And I think it's served me well until today. I mean, I learned, I don't ever think now, wow, we've made it. We're doing, we're doing really well this year. So what we'll go and do is we'll do this. I'll I, I treat it now exactly as I did then when I learned the, you know, the tough lesson, which is, Okay, we may be having a good year. Yes, we may be. Right, great. Now, what's going to happen next year? What's the what's the risk we've got? What's this? What's this? How do we get the business so it is so stable? Should that happen, we haven't got a problem. And you know, we obviously know there's going to be some choppy waters over the next couple of years. Even if you look at when COVID hit, I mean, we were lucky. I mean, we were lucky for two reasons. One, we're a contracted revenue business, so eighty to nine, and probably ninety percent of our business is contracted. So that was the good news. Yeah. Uh, the next bit of news was uh, get on Credit Safe really fast, run a report for me, tell me what sectors we've got, and tell me anything we've got in hospitality, tell me anything we've got in aviation, and tell me fast. Now, it wasn't by design, by the way, no. but we had hardly anything. So we were really lucky. But if we had been a comms business that was in hospitality or aviation, we would have been in real trouble. And is that something you, uh, was there an experience during your time at Wish that sort of made you that alert? Yeah, I, I've had probably the most, I think it did me the world of good. Yeah. It didn't feel like it at the time. And this was probably two, three years into the business. And one of the networks came up with a tariff. And if you did enough volume, you could literally. And this is when uh, health and safety came out with Lone Worker. 
So all care homes at that stage were sending people into people's homes with no way of saying whether they were in trouble, weren't in trouble, couldn't get back. So they had to do something. So you could basically stack a tariff for them that would cost them probably two quid a month with a phone, no more. Now for that, if you did enough volume, you started to get some big rebates back. So we had a lot of cash swilling around. What you can't do is give the, everybody the cash up front. So you bank the cash, and then every month you would rebate back into them off their bill because they had to pay the network direct. So we were swimming. Yeah. So foolishly, we went, let's try, you know, we should expand. Let's just not stay in what we're doing. Let's try a hand. So we did. Trying a hand at something else didn't go so well. We would obviously use cash that should be going somewhere else. We'd had a downturn somewhere else. All the things that you probably shouldn't do, we did. And we got down to about eight or nine care, big, big care homes that we just couldn't, we just couldn't give them the monthly rebate. And everybody said, what do we do? You know, what, what do you do? Because they're going to come at us and they could probably put us out of business. So I, I went, look, uh, do you know what? I'm going to call them. What, what's the worst that's going to happen? So I had to pick the phone up to eight owners of businesses and have a conversation that went along the lines of, we have a challenge. Uh, there's two things you can do. You can work with us. And the commitment is, I will phone you every week with a financial update for you and when you'll get your money. Or you can come at me and you'll probably put me out of business. Just by making that call was the best thing I could have done. I committed to ring them every week, is what I did. Every single one worked through it with us. Every single one got their money and every single one stayed a customer. And I still deal with some of them now through relationship. But... Let me promise you, when you have to phone someone up to say, oh, I can't afford to pay you, that is humbling. But it stood me in really, really good stead. Really good stead going forward. A massive learning. Uh, and it just probably controls your ego a little bit when you're in business. And, you know, ultimately it can run away with you a little bit. Uh, was it at your time in Wish that your love of Apple developed? Do you know what? Everybody says to me, why haven't you got an Apple? I... Uh, by the way, as a product, as a business, I take my hat off to them. Uh, but you've got to consider, I, we started that business in... Frame the question that way, knowing what's going Yeah, well, yeah it's, a, it's a good question. So in 06, we'd get X amount of pounds, then we'd have to buy the phone. Yeah. For three years, the average price of a handset was £68. Then the iPhone came. Yeah. The average price of the handset, by the time... We sold that business in 2013, was just under £300 a handset, and we were paid no more money up front. So it was a, I call it the cash killer. I don't call it an iPhone, I just call it a cash killer, because that's what it is. And then, everybody, and then they get this great idea, they're going to bring a new one out every year. So everybody wants one every single year. New, 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 new. And they want to burn it down over 24 months or 12 months. Well, that what you just expect me to give it to you. So when you take a new, so it's a cum, uh, consumer expectation. Oh, consumer expectation, but that's I, I think business is consumer now. If I'm honest with you, I don't see there's a lot of difference. I think it's quite blurred lines. But if I if I came to you and you said, right, Simon, I want you to give me, you know, I want a phone contract with you and I want twenty iPhones. Right, I have to spend the money up front. You don't want to spend the money up front. You want to take that over twenty four months at I don't know forty quid a month. I've spent the money. So I don't get into positive cash flow on an iPhone deal at a low level until probably month 19. That's when I start to see positive cash. So we took the decision, 
It was a tough decision, by the way, for DBFB because a lot of their business was local and a lot of it was what I would call Soho or consumer, which is all iPhone heaven. So what I would call the one to ten market. Yeah. And we took a decision we didn't want to be in it because it, 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 it just it's network and the network's got pots of cash and they've got great deals with Apple and, and you know Apple don't do deals. Apple is, that's the price, that's the price. Other manufacturers will be a bit different. But I'm not a popular fan of it from a business point of view, but from a business, from what it's done and how it's transformed, you know, life. And it has transformed life. You know, I take my hat off to them. It's probably commoditized the mobile, played a big part in commoditizing the mobile phone, I'd imagine. Um, yeah. In that side, it's led to it being like a, you know, four people in a household all got phones. But the, I see, I wasn't expecting what you say to go down that way, but I can see, um, I, I imagine it'd be some sort of way they operate business. I don't know when I asked the question, but hearing what you're saying there, literally your customers expect, because I, I, we must be, we'd probably be like your favorite customers. As a company, we just do SIM only deals. Perfect. Uh, and we'll have a conversation when we finish. Because <laughs> I, um, um, I did the maths and worked out if we take a SIM only deal, it's this much. If we just buy the iPhones, yeah. so buy the iPhone and then the SIM only, and then I forward project, if I replace my phone every two years, the, um, it actually works out more better in the long run for me to buy the phone. I have this conversation with businesses, and I mean large businesses every day, yeah. where, and all our salespeople do, where we're saying to them, look, if you go and get it from a network, all you're doing is financing money. They don't give you the phone. That, doesn't, that world doesn't exist where they're giving it. You're paying for it. One way or another, you'll pay for it, where they give you a massive kit fund or whatever they do. But is it a way of life? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we've moved much more into the model that you run. Uh, we've moved away from that one to ten market because it, it just drains you. Uh, and when they release a phone, uh, you all, you've got to have banked a lot of cash for when you have to go and buy probably three 3,000 iPhones in a month. So uh, you've got to think, the networks pay you this way. I've still got to buy the phone. Have they commoditized the market? <sighs> yes and no. So you, you still as a network will pay someone like me to sell your services. Even as a network, you know, they run their network, they've got their cost. But there's another thing it's done, which is the scariest thing, is that when there's a problem with an Apple phone or there's a problem with a Samsung phone, guess where you ring? Me. So guess what I've got to do? Put more resource in. Guess when you can't use your phone, what I have to do? Explain to you how to do it. So I've got to train people on it. Now, I've never got this. In my view, I mean, Apple don't get it. I said I don't like authority and I like to buck a trend, right? So I have this conversation all the time with senior people in Samsung. You can't get to senior people in Apple, by the way. That's impossible. Yeah. That's the price. You buy it or you don't. And say, well, let's get this right. I buy a phone off you and I give it to one of our customers. When that phone goes wrong, I take the phone call. When that phone breaks, I take the phone call. When they don't know how to use it, I take the phone call. You don't pay me to do that, do you? Uh, my argument falls on deaf ears, as you can, but I have a lot of sport with it. Um, but that means, from a resource point of view, for, for all businesses, whether it's us, whether it's Vodafone, EE, it means there's a lot more people. They're having to put a lot more people in to serve. And, and that's, that's, 
it's fantastic from a point of view of what it's done. But the more complex phones get, the more resource you have to get. And there's not a lot of difference now between a phone and a, and a, and a you know, a laptop. There just isn't. You know, they're the same, they store the same things. They all go to the cloud. They're really the same. So, whilst I've got you here, are you running your own or have a keen interest in small business? Then UKBF is here for you. Visit ukbf.co.uk and become part of our vibrant community to meet other like-minded business owners and tap into a wealth of expertise and experience to help your business thrive. Now, back to the story. The, um, my daughter runs her own business. She's 20. She doesn't have a laptop. She literally runs her business from her phone yeah. with apps. And that is what we see a lot of the particularly younger generation, um, Gen Z, Millennial, very rarely do they use a computer and they're running their own business. And it is, it's all on the mobile phone. Everything from their banking to their invoicing, um, CRM. Uh, they don't use email generally nowadays. It's um, Instagram messaging or WhatsApp. It's, um, it's a whole change in business overall now as the younger generation are coming up. Oh, it's huge. I mean, I remember presenting something out 2017 or 2018 and it was the first time in one of those two years that google searches were done more on mobile than they were on uh, pcs or laptops first time but if you think about that logically people traveling uh, you know, when i go away i don't take a laptop i'll take a phone yeah. i can do the basics i need to do on a phone i can get to what i need to get to what do i need a laptop for so i don't disagree i mean ultimately they might find a battery that lasts longer than five minutes but when they do I think you'll end up plugging into having a keyboard and a screen. I can see it. Yeah. They've tried it once. It will come back. Ultimately, you sold Wish. Yep. Um, presumably done okay? Uh, tough part of my life, that. So we grew it. The three of us grew it. And it was difficult. The dynamic was difficult because it was three of us. We were all 33, 33, 33. Um, there was a big shift in the market. So in about 2011, 2012, the city actually got smart. So the way the city used to measure the networks was how many new additions they had on. What they never looked at was what fell out the bottom. So if you can imagine us, not just us, but you as consumers, anybody, for you business, car phone, I'm on T-Mobile when T-Mobile's still about. I'm on T-Mobile, I've been there a year. I've got a great deal for you. I can move you to Vodafone. The next year, by the way, I can move you to O2. The year after that, I'm going to move you back to Orange. Now I'm going to keep going around in the circle. And the reason everybody did that was because the networks paid bonuses for new additions. So the city was seeing new additions, new additions. They never looked at what they lost. Then somebody looked at what they lost and went, you're not growing at all. You're standing still. So rightly so for the networks, they went, we're moving you to an ongoing revenue model, which means that if you lose, we lose, you lose. So we want net new additions, which is fine. That bit I understood. What then transpired when you looked at your numbers in your own business was, we ain't got enough cash to do this. We've got payment like... You buy all the phones. They, they were, to be fair, they were reasonably good with the transition. So they did help with the transition. But our model didn't work, not with the volume. When we, we were 60 salespeople, 
at that stage we were probably 110 in the business and it was you have to hit these numbers to get there that was simple now what that then meant was you had to worry about relationships retention selling more products in so we had to take a pure what i would call and it was a sales animal and say right what do we want to do with it well we don't need 60 salespeople. we probably need 20 and what we've got to do is retain and we've got to grow and we've got to sell some different products in and we had to change the dynamics of the business and we went through that planning probably for six months and between that stage between who we were dealing with then and with us there was a couple of things that weren't quite right and ultimately we went we're not going to survive this we're just not we're not big enough we didn't have enough scale i mean we've grown to 12 million of revenue we still weren't big enough that sounds uh, unfathomable to sit there and think that because um, many people think like 12 million revenue got to be a booming big business but to hear you say that just almost sounds unconceivable no yeah, but see again i don't blame i don't blame apple for all of it by the way i do blame no i don't really i, I smile <laughs> when i say it but if you you know we had 50 60 sales people we we paid we paid good money to us we paid big commissions but that model over that period of time changed how do you go to a salesperson and go by the way uh, our cost of sales gone up because hardware's moved from 70 to 300 quid so therefore, I need to reduce your salary. That nice three series of driving is now going to be, I don't know, a mini metro. And by the way, I'm going to pay you half the commission. We would lose the whole lot. So it was very, very difficult to change. But ultimately, our model was flawed with the change that was coming. And there was nothing we could do about it. We, had, we knew the lifespan we had ahead of us. We knew how long we had. Um, and we took a decision. As I've said to you before, I don't tend to look back on it. That's the decision we took. Uh, we sold to a partner, uh, a fellow competitor, similar size to us at the state time. They were probably 15 million in revenue. So combined, it was about 30 million. It, it had to scale. They were obviously acquiring us. And two of us decided we'd go into their business. We took shares in their business. Uh, the other partner was bought out. Yeah, it didn't work very well. And I knew that from the first meeting. And that's, I think, always a challenge. There were too many people around the table. There were too many egos. Uh, we were used to running it the way we ran it. They, well, they wanted to run it a different way. And when you've got 16, 17 people around the table, all having an opinion, uh, you're just sitting there going, this isn't going to work. I, I hated it from day one. There were too many changes that happened. And ultimately, you know, to a degree, had we done a gentleman's agreement, yes, to a, shake hands, on what was going to happen should one of us not enjoy it. Um, yeah, I went to walk away and expected my share to be paid out at the level I thought I'd agreed. I was told that would happen. <laughs> it didn't. Um, so, uh, do you know what? For me, it was tough. I think probably for my wife and for my children, probably the toughest time we'd had. So, yeah, we'd had eight years growing a business. You know, it wasn't like I wasn't earning bad money before I joined. So we'd, we'd probably... Bought our dream house, lovely cars, two boys in private school. I treated myself, you know, I'm a petrol head. I treated myself to a lovely Ferrari, classical one. And we were living a great life, great holidays, wonderful. And that should have carried on. Uh, it didn't. Uh, and I had to have a really, you know, what do you do? So I sat on a base salary for a year, waiting to be paid. 
and ultimately got to a stage where I went, this isn't going to happen. Now, fortunately, there were two of us in the same boat. Because I think if it had been one of us, mentally, and, and we all love to sit here and say, I can t- I, I'm absolutely convinced I would have been in a world of trouble. Because your life's crumbling around you. You've got no control. And I think that was the biggest problem for me. I've got no control. I was sitting waiting for them to do something or say something. And it went on and on. And it got to the December of that year and both of us went, enough's enough. Whatever happens, do you know what? I'd prefer to be out of it with no money and just go again. I can't deal with it. So we kind of took control of the situation then. Uh, it was messy. It ended up going. They tried to take us to, well, we ended up taking them to tribunal because they tried to take us as badly. It, it was horrible. But it needs to happen. We need to take control back of our lives. I certainly did. And I think probably six, three or six months after that is... I kind of bumped into Brian uh, Kingston, who was the, one of the founders of DBFB. And we were having a drink. He was, I was saying, what are you doing? He was talking to his business. I said, oh, yeah, what size is it? He was telling me it was about two and a half million turnover. It was local. I said, oh, okay, great. You know, how many people? It Twelve. And, you know, how do you buy? And my ears just went, ping. And he went, we wholesale everything. I went, so you, you bill it. You own the customer. Now, my previous model was the network build it, yeah. which was messy, yeah. totally messy. So that I went, oh, wow. Okay, brilliant. Now, how have you grown it? And what's your sales team like, Brian? What do you mean sales team? And it was two of them. There was Pratesh, who was well-known around the county, and it was Brian. It was us two. What's your marketing team? Well, they have one of those. How do you get leads then, Exactly. And I was used to picking up phones, dialing and booking. Well, I do networking. What's networking? Well, I go to a chamber and I do this and I do this. and What, that works? Yeah, yeah. So I go and meet, you know, what, and people ring you? Yeah. And I was sitting there going, I I can't get my head around that. Right, so you go and speak to someone, if you go and have a wine with somebody, and you you have a conversation at these events, you get to know, and, and when they're ready to do something, they just pick the phone up to you. He went, yeah, that's what happens. And I went, can't believe that for a minute. I was walking away going, that doesn't happen. What you do is you bang 90 numbers a day, you get your appointments, and then you go and sell it. So he got me intrigued. I said, look, I'd love to come and see it. And unfortunately, um, Bill, the other founder, wasn't well at that time. He was terminal with um, cancer. And I met with Brian, met with Bill. Uh, we agreed a price. I went, no problem. Obviously, at that stage, I'd gone through certain things. After starting a business, I was expecting some money to arrive. Happy days. So just to recap, so I'm in in the right area of the timeline. You was having this conversation before you was at the real dark point with um, coming out of the other business. Yeah, I'd come out. I'd I'd have come out of the other business from an employment point of view. So the employment was done. I was waiting on the shares to be paid. Right, yeah. Every month, like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no. So, uh, so, you so you're, so you're writing the check ready for this? Oh, I've, I've done due diligence on it. I've engaged lawyers, tax, the lot. Yeah. Everything was done, ready to go. I'd signed heads of terms, by the way. Done. Oh, you'd proper commit. Oh, I was ready. Right, okay. And I then got the phone call to say what we thought was going to happen isn't going to happen, you're not going to get your money. 
at which stage I put the phone down and went, oh, I can't even describe how I felt, if I'm honest with you. It was, it was just, what the hell am I now? I've got no job. I've told two people they think I'm going to buy their business. And... I've got this house. And we're not talking like, you know, £10.50. It wasn't £10.50. I wish it was £10.50, but it wasn't. We're talking seven figures, aren't we? Yes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got two kids in school. Uh, what, what, what am I going to do? Um, so I sat with my wife and probably cried in a, a good, I'd say glass, I'd be lying. It was probably a good couple of vinos, probably bottles, to be fair. And we did that over a couple of days. And, and she was fantastic. You know, I mean, she's she's a housewife. She's she's brilliant with the boys. Brought them up. Does all the running around for them. And she sat there and went. I, she said, "What are your options?" I went, "Well, you know, I've been quite sensible. So I did take some money up front when we first sold the business, but a lot was due later on." I said, "Well, look, we're not a bad position. I think I'm going to get a reasonably good job with somebody, and you know, that'll be that." He said, "Is that what you really want to do?" I went, "No." <laughs> What I really want to do is get my hands on that business because if I can get my hands on that business, I, I, I can take that with the right people to something special. I know I can do it. So she sat there and went, look, I'll support you. I said, you understand what you're saying. That means we have to sell the house. That means, we have to sell, that means we're selling everything we've got, every asset we've got. We might just be able to keep the kids in private school. That's as good as we're going to get and we'll rent. Don't know what we can rent, by the way, because I don't know how much money we're going to have. So she had to think about it, and you know, to this day I'm ever thankful she went, I'll support you on it. That was one problem resolved. The next problem was I had to go and sit with Brian. And for anybody that knows Brian, Brian for me goes from here to here very quickly with a temperament, and he's lovely. Yeah, yeah I, know, I, I know Brian. So I had to go and sit with him, and we met where the Miller and Carter is now. And again, humbling. Not very good at the humbling bit, but I was very humble and I sat with him and said, Brian, I've, I've got a major problem. Uh, the money I'm expecting is not coming through and I can't tr transact. To be fair to him, he didn't go bananas. He could have done. He could have called me all the names. on. He called me a couple, but not too bad for Brian. And he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I think there's an option, but I'm going to need your support. I said, I'm willing to sell my house and sell cars, We'll do all of that, and I can raise enough to buy him 50% with everything I've got. Then what I'll agree to is I'll grow it enough that I'll do an MBO within a year. And to be fair to him, we, we've got on famously before. We, we get on famously now, and it, and it worked well. And that's kind of how DBFB came around. It was, it was tough, but and it's, you know, we're still in rented today. So you know, we, we've ploughed everything we've got into the business, and... At some stage, hopefully it will, uh, it's not hopefully, it will pay dividend. That's one hell of a recovery, I'd say, for that situation, which does uh, speak volumes to the, the lengths to go to for that, but also having the support of the family behind how important that is. Huge. Without, without that, I, 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 I wouldn't have done it. Uh, I, would I have regretted not 100%? But... You know, it's your family, and the family comes first, and and that support was huge. Even from the two, you know, the boys now four to sixteen. I was saying, they get it. You know, they come into the business now, and they you know occasionally do a bit of work. I don't probably just talk to everybody, but they do a bit of work. They get it. 
Um, and they get the fact of why we had to do which is tough for them. You know, it's tough for my wife. You know, she loves a home. She loves entertaining. Well, I took all that away in 20, 2014. Um, and, what, eight years down the road, I've still taken it away. Hopefully, we'll, you know, I think we'll be there in the next year. But I would sit with anybody who's made money. And I think at any stage, everybody who's made money or owns their own business will have something similar to what I've just described. Because I can take you back to English. I can remember sitting there going, we'd won a deal. We had no money. Two of us managed to get our hands on two credit cards, personal, and spend 80 grand on credit cards. Now, if that had gone wrong, we were done. In more ways than one, by the way. So if you're not, again, being a business owner is tough. Yeah. It's hard. You, you're not only looking after yourself, your family, you're also looking after every single one of your employees. And your responsibility is, is to make sure they get paid on time every month what they're due. Because otherwise they can't afford to pay what they've got to pay. So yeah. it goes up. And you have to take risks. You have to. The My own business that the I've run now... Uh, was started on three credit cards. So I maxed one out, took out another, took out another. But I couldn't pay my mortgage with the credit card. Um, so I then had to get a loan out, um, tell the, lo the bank that I was having some home improvements done and, that's, and to get the loan. And then I used the loan to pay me mortgage. Yeah. Um, and you have to do that. And that, if it, as you say, if it goes wrong, you're in a one- You are, oh, you're in big trouble. But yeah. I, I think- Again, to run your own, I mean, you've got to have confidence in yourself. And that can be hard sometimes because we can all get our confidence not. But you have to be able to look at it and go, do I believe it's worth the risk? Yeah. Not a blind risk. If it's not worth it, don't do it. But do you have faith in yourself that you believe this business can get from here to here? And if you do, the, the, you will become creative. Whatever creativity you need to come up with, you'll come up with it. Credit cards is a great one. I mean, we've all done different things, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's what it should be. I said earlier, you know, we ended up going, right, there's, there's all people that supply handsets. There's probably four or five big distributors. Well, go and open me an account with everyone, get me as much credit as you can, get put on stop by that one and take them from that one and, and just play them. And that's what you have to do. You know, don't do it to the smaller businesses because that's not a great thing to do because guess what? They're in the same shoes as you. But the big national businesses, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to hurt them by doing it. Everybody will do it once in a blue moon. Um, but you have to. You have to be creative. And a question really, you've explained what attracted you to DBFB. Yep. What, what made you go down the route of buying another company as opposed to starting up again? <laughs> I couldn't go through a startup process again. <laughs> I went, God. I'm never going to get 20 BMWs. They're never going to give me that now. I, 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 I love the fact, and I could have done it that way, but our industry now is quite difficult to get wholesale agreements. They're quite difficult to get, and they had that already. They were well established. I foolishly at the start believed that I would just stay in Northamptonshire, stroke Milton Keynes, and grow a nice little business. That was stupidity on my behalf because that's not my personality and it allowed me to go and attract the best talent I believe in the marketplace into the business now 
I did that day dot, you know, another big risk. Uh, you know, for me, I've got much better people than me that in the business that run that business than me. They're better than me nearly everything they do. You know, I'll hopefully no one's told you, but if you ever get an email from me and I've sent it directly, you'll probably go, what the hell does that mean? I'm terrible. I write, my head's going about 20 times quicker than my fingers can go. So if ever I'm sending an important mail to customers, I have to get someone else to check it. Same boat. I, um, the emails, people proofread my emails. Have to. Have to. So, I, and I've got people, it allowed me to bring the talent that I wanted to bring in. And I worked with some really good talent when we built our business. And I looked at it, took a step back and went, this is going to be painful for four years. And we model, I modeled it out, I worked my old FD, modeled it, modeled it, modeled it, and went, right, as long as we're growing at that level, we'll be fine. If we come off a little bit, there'll be challenges but I'm not going to compromise on the people I want to bring in. One, because I work well with them. Um, but two, they're just smart people and they can develop. Uh, and I went on people that were the finished article. I knew them, but my sales director, Sam Lee, he's, he's grown beyond my wildest dreams, came in as, he was a salesperson. He was a bloody good salesperson, but he was a salesperson. He came in as sales and marketing director with a share in the business. Yeah. And he took a risk on me. Now, developed, and I'd put him up against anybody. And I'd be very surprised if he lost one. And he's good. And it's the same when you talk about my company, you know, Jamie's commercial, phenomenal. Brilliant brain. Again, I think he's one of the best in the industry. And I could keep going. But I've brought people in either young or people that wanted that opportunity. Same as I did. You know, I wanted an opportunity to run, own, and develop and grow a business on my own. I've done it with two others. I, I wanted to see if I could do it. And where, with that journey, so you did the deal with Brian. Yep. Um, agreed to an MBO. Yep. Um, so how has that journey been from that day to MBO? Well, I know it's happened. So, yeah. <laughs> um, to where uh, DBF is now, how's that? It, it's listen. I'm not going to sit here. But it's been easy sailing, Richard. Piece of cake. I'd be lying through my teeth. Uh, there's been challenges. Of course, there has. Um, yeah, we've grown. We've got some recruitment wrong. We haven't got it right all the time. Uh, cash has been challenging. Uh, uh, all the things you have when you grow a business, and you run at pace. Uh, and I'm. I quite like, this sounds terrible, I quite like chaos. I quite like it when it's muck and bullets. That's when I'm in my element. When it's running normally and nicely, I get bored. I'm like, well, it's working now. I'm out of it. Uh, and I don't mean out of the business. I just mean let me find me something else that's broken and let me go and look at it and figure it out. That stuff I like doing. So finding an MBO was tough. That, finding the funding was hard work. Uh, hitting the numbers they wanted to hit, was hard, cash has been hard, but we've won. You know, we've grown this thing. You know, we've just closed our books out this year in September. So we've taken from two and a half million in 16, 2016, end of our financial year, September 22, we've just over 10. Profitability is great, cash is great, but that's come in the last three years. Our model is one that means as we sell more, 
we grow and the margins get better and tick down. So it, it's, again, it's not a tough model. You know, no model's tough. You've just got to understand which levers to pull that will have the impact on your P&L and balance sheet. So, oh, it's, it's been a, it's been a, do you know what? It's flown by and I've loved, I've loved it, even the tough times. And there's been tough times where I've had to make some tough calls again, whoever that's to, but I've loved doing it. And I've gone through it, so it doesn't feel so daunting. I think the daunting bit for me was we got to the, what, 2018, 2019, we were motoring, motoring. And bloody March comes along, COVID. And that, for me, was a month of, wow, spreadsheet, what's it mean, what's it mean, what's it mean? Well, I'm sure every business owner's done it. Every manager's probably done it. And, and ultimately, prior to furlough, if everybody's being honest... They were going through their numbers going, who, who have I got to get rid of? Because that was the outcome. That was, you know, I was looking at it going, I don't want to do it, but I've got to do it. I've got to make some tough decisions because if I don't make them, we're not making this. We're, not, we're just not going to get through it because we had a business that was shaped to this size and my cost levels were here and I had to sell. Well, who to? And how many are going to go pop? And who wasn't going to pay you? And how many are going to ask for support? All the questions, who knew? I was so bored of spreadsheets in that time. Um, I've got two last questions for you, which are run through. So I'm going to do them a different way around this time, though. The UK Business Forums is, you know, we aim to support people coming into business or in early stages of business. You've been through a f number of learning curves, if I put it that way. Um, <laughs> But also you've got the experience of growing your own business and then exiting your own business in, you know. I learned a lot from that. I can, let me tell you, if it happens again, <laughs> I will do that very differently. Uh, but also buying a, buying a business and yeah. going through an MBO. So based on sort of the breadth of experience you've got, what three pieces of advice would you give to um, a new to business business owner? I think the first thing is have a plan. And be realistic. Don't, don't pretend everything's going to be rosy. There will be surprises that you cannot forecast in a business. So be sensible with it. So if, I, if I'm looking at an acquisition, I will take 40% of their revenue off it when we bring it in. Because I'm going to lose 40% of it. So I, I think be realistic. Have a plan and a financial plan. And stick to your plan. The next bit for me, forget P&L, forget balance sheet. There is only one thing that matters, cash in your bank. For the first two years, the only reason you want profit is ego. There is no other reason. It is ego. Same as revenue. It's all ego. Who cares if you've got a 20, 30 million pound revenue business if you're making nothing? What's the point? So for those first two years, the only thing you need to worry about is cash. That is the one number one thing to so get someone in your business that gets cash management because without it, you're in a world of trouble. I'd probably add into that and say that the cash isn't all yours either. No, it's not yours. But you have to manage your cash. What's going out? What's, what can you push? What, get someone good. And the, the other one, if you are recruiting people, Go for the best people. Just find... It's not necessarily that they are the finished article. Find someone 
who wants an opportunity. There are lots out there who want an opportunity to develop, want an opportunity to learn and earn. And if you get those three areas right, you've got a shot. It's tough. It is tough. Um, and the last one, more for you personally, why do you do it? Why do you, with all these knocks and challenges and things that happen, the chaos, why do you put yourself through it? I love a challenge. And I'm terrible. I, I, I'm... If I look at the business, why do I do it? I do it because I love the people I work with. And we just have such fun. We have fun doing it. It's far... I mean, I work at a fast pace. So if you ever go and speak to any of my staff, they'll always say one of my favourite phrases is, why is it taking so long? Why can't we do it quicker? What's taking long to close this deal? I, I want to go at a pace. Uh, we create a plan with everybody in the business. It, it's not a top-down, but, you know, we... we I, I was taught this in GE, and it's stuck with me ever since. don't know why this one thing stuck with me, but it did, which was, if you've got a challenge in the business and things aren't working or you're getting complaints, whatever it may be, do you know the best people that know the problem in your business? Because it's not you. Certainly not me. It's the people doing the work. And they'll tell you what you're doing wrong. And I love those sessions. And uh, I'm not sitting here going, we've got 100 problems. But to improve things, I will go and sit with a team of people. So we've created a business improvement team, which is people from each area. And they sit down once a month and we give them a problem or something we want to improve. And they'll come up with a solution. They'll then come and present it out. And it's so simple what they come up with. We overcomplicate and we think we're clever. And we overcomplicate everything. They make it so simple. So that, for me, is fantastic. I love watching talent come through. I love watching people develop. My biggest bit, as, as I've gone through my career, there's a number of people that have done it. I take pleasure out of watching people go and succeed. Now, whether that is in our business today or whether that is going to another business, I don't mind. And I've, you know, some great stories we've got where we, you know, people are coming and they've gone from here to here. But it's great watching people develop. It's great being part of that journey. I obviously wanted to provide for my family, so I've got a bit of making up to do on that front in time. And I, I just think the challenge, I love it. I, I love business. And for me, it's, you know, it sounds terrible, it's a bit of a game. You know, it is a game. You're moving pieces here, you're moving pieces here. You're trying to keep up with the market here. What do you do here? How do you plan What's next? And I get excited. I love getting up every day. It's been fantastic speaking with you. It's a really interesting and roller coaster journey there. Um, plenty of little nuggets there for taking as well. So thank you very much for your time. Absolute pleasure. pleasure. Great to see you. You too. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to help spread the stories of small businesses across the UK. Have you got a story to share? reach out to us on ukbf.co.uk and you never know, you could be the next UKBF story.